Nature's Comics. Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Leyland, and I am the co-host on the podcast we like to call Hey Kids Comics. Today's episode kicks off Couch Potato Month here on the show, and the plan was to do the usual. Michael and I would watch today's picked show, The Incredible Hulk episode, The Psychic, individually, then we would watch it together, and then we would record the show in the usual manner, i.e. I would have five pages of notes and Michael would wing it. However, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry, especially when cheese is involved. Oh something like that. And as we came to sit and watch the episode, we decided to do an audio commentary. Now, I have here for two been deathly afraid of audio commentaries for a number of reasons. Primarily that without the crutch of post-production to fall back on, you would hear what inarticulate monkeys we really are. Also, I was bothered that the episode would consist of nothing but erms and anyways... However, we threw caution to the wind and did it as a commentary. So, if you have The Incredible Hulk third season on DVD, you can dig out the episode, The Psychic, or watch it on YouTube or Netflix, and, with the exception of a brief intro and epilogue, watch along as two blithering idiots talk all over a quality piece of television. We hope you enjoy it, and we'd love to hear your feedback. that we are calling Hey Kids Comics Couch Potato. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And what we'll be doing for the next couple of weeks is taking a television show adapted from a comic book, naturally, because we are a comic book podcast, and looking at it. Which means I get to do nothing and sit on my ass. Well, you've done nothing and sit on your ass <laughs> for the past couple of shows, let's be honest. Since we stopped Nightfall, have you done any work? I read your issues. Well done. Congratulations on that. It was so hard. It was, I'm willing to bet. Couch Potato um, is a very simple premise, really, that we stole from SFX magazine. 
Did we? Yeah. Well, I did. I don't think you were aware that I nicked it from somebody else. No. What we're going to do, as I say, is we've picked four television shows of varying quality. I think mm. it has to be said. We haven't picked all good ones or all bad ones for that measure. Uh, and we've just picked an episode that we think represents that show as a whole. Our first pick is the Incredible Hulk television series and an episode entitled The Psychic. These visions, they began with what, an injury, accident? It was an accident at birth. I know who you are. I know what you become. I can lead you to John Doe, the man of a past creature. Did I, I mention $10,000, Miss Gavin? Suicide is not the answer. This isn't a suicide, this is an execution. The Incredible Hulk was a phenomenally successful, albeit very loose, adaptation of the comics from triple threat writer, producer, director Kenneth Johnson, who'd previously worked on The Six Million Dollar Man and created The Bionic Woman. The Hulk TV show came about when Johnson was offered any of Marvel's catalogue to develop by Universal, who'd recently purchased the rights to Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Captain America and The Hulk. Johnson poo-pooed the idea instantly. He wasn't a comic book fan, nor, despite a couple of years on Six Mill, was he a sci-fi fan. He quickly saw, however, that he could do an adaptation of Les Miserables within the Hulk format, and the show was born. Bill Bixby was tapped to play the lead, hapless scientist Dr. Banner, who, following the death of his wife, becomes obsessed with finding out how some people have hidden reservoirs of strength, which they can tap into in times of anger or stress. Oh yeah, they didn't grant them to that, the Yes, my, we have a real-life example of that. My granddad lifted a car when a child was run down in front of our house. We were all, well, I was only about seven or eight. It wasn't very old at all. And the boy was trapped under the car, and he did actually have to have a skin graft because it, it pulled all the skin off his back. And my granddad actually lifted the car enough that they could get the boy out from underneath the spinning wheel. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, he didn't lift it above his head, you know, throw it across the, the driveway or anything, but he did manage to lift it a couple of inches to pull the boy free. Uh, so uh, this, this part, the pilot premise of this has actually always resonated with me, simply because I have actually bore witness to an example of that happening. So I was quite impressed with that. Unfortunately, Banner himself could not access this hidden reservoir of strength when his wife burned to death before his eyes following a car crash. His experiments led him to experiment with gamma radiation and an overdose causes him, when angry or outraged, to become a hulking green creature, seven feet tall with immense strength. It also has the added side effect to turn him into a different actor, bodybuilder Luferino. An investigative reporter, Jack McGee, who sees the creature and pursues him relentlessly like Javert in Les Miserables, was played by noted character actor Jack Colvin. Numerous changes were made to the show to adapt it to television, but the one thing the show got absolutely right was the character of Dr. Banner, David Bruce here rather than Robert Bruce in the comics, and a pitch-perfect performance from series star Bill Bixby. Being the Hulk was no fun for Banner. It had, in fact, ruined his life, and Bixby captured this essence of the comic book character perfectly. No more was this in evidence than in this third season episode, The Psychic. This episode, the 18th from the show's third season, originally aired in the US on the 22nd of February 1980. 
Trying to track down UK air dates for American television shows is practically impossible unless they aired on the BBC due to the regionalisation of ITV at the time. But the show made its debut over here, according to the Encyclopedia of TV Science Fiction by Roger Fulton, on the 26th of May 1978. So I would imagine this episode aired sometime in late 1980-1981. It was written by Karen Harris and Jill Sherman, two of the better writers for the show, from a story by George Arthur Bloom and was directed by Barry Crane. Not Denny Crane. Not Denny Crane, but Barry Crane. The the teaser. I suppose I should stop it. Mm. (laughs) The picture looks better in my room. Was it? Yeah. Well, this is a bigger thing, really, isn't it? I was watching it last night and I was like, whoa, was this really the 80s? Maybe we should do it as an audio. thousand dollars. Maybe we should do it as an audio commentary, shall we? Okay. Traditionally, the teaser for a television show normally takes place before the opening credits, setting up this week's show for the audience and keeps them watching during the commercial break that occurs after those credits. For a time in the 70s, 80s, some shows stopped doing teasers and instead made little teaser trailers for the episode that were to follow. By and large, I can see that these were rather pointless, but I have a special place in my heart for them because they were rarely screened over here. If the show was bought by the BBC, well, they don't have commercial breaks, so they are by and large superfluous. ITV did have commercials, but not straight after the credits, so by chopping them they could fit in another advert, so chop they did. This trailer is similar to other Hulk trailers in that it is lots of shots of the Hulk, with no real idea being given to the tone or storyline of an episode. What do you think about having a trailer? Didn't all TV shows at this point have a trailer? Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, there were still some shows in the 70s that had pre-credit teasers. But it was a a popular thing. The A-Team, Adam and Erwolf, Adam and Magnum P.I., Adam and and all of that stuff. The opening credits to The Hulk are some of the best in TV history. And the producers obviously thought so as they didn't change them for five years. From Ted Cassidy's voiceover giving a rundown of the premise of the show to Bixby's Don't Make Me Angry to the choice of clips, the credits do everything a good opening credit sequence shows. You know what I only noticed we were watching it last night? What? That at the beginning it starts off with anger and then it zooms yeah, out and says and then zooms out to danger. That's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. Did you never spot that before? No. What do you think of the credits as a whole? I love you, Rara. Did you? Yeah. It's, it's mostly doom and gloom and rain and well, all doom and the gloom. Well, sh- the show is very doom and gloom. The Hulk was not a happy television show. Except for the 80s disco one. Well, except for the, even the 80s disco one was about an alcoholic teenager. So <laughs> this was not a, a happy show, by and large. Um... The, this episode is a row one in that it starts with him being the Hulk. I can only think of one other episode that did this, the, the, another season three episode called Equinox. Normally, when this happens, um, like in uh, the first season episode of Guilt Models and Murder in the first season, which starts with Banner coming out of a Hulk out, and any other episodes that have Hulk outs early on, like Mystery Man or The Disciple, rarely did a standard episode of the Hulk have three Hulk appearances, which this one does. Now, Act 1 has started with the Hulk running down a street, uh, and a young teenage boy is running down an alleyway. 
and he runs into the police and a gun falls out of his hands and hides behind a dustbin, which I thought was quite convenient, mm. really. The policeman runs into the alleyway where the Hulk is just standing there. Boom! Yes. <laughs> uh, there's a boy on the floor with blood pouring down his head and the Hulk obviously stood over him. Now, I think you can pretty much guess what's going to happen here. Mm. We assume that the Hulk is going to be blamed once again for a murder he didn't commit. I thought it was the Hulk. Did you? Yeah. Did you really think the Hulk's just beaten up on a teenager? Well, no, but some kid's running down the street and he turns around the corner and splat into a wall. I think the Hulk could be a wall, so if you ran into him at full speed. You see, thought the kid run into the Hulk and broke his own neck. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, the Hulk runs away, uh, and the policeman calls into dispatch about the, the, um, the incident. We cut to... Anna, Annie, what was her name? Annie Kaplan? Yeah. Was that her name? Who is working as an operator. Is this job, by and large, gone by the wayside now? I think so. I've no idea what it does. Um, people used to phone the operator. Okay. To ask to be connected to other phone numbers. Oh, okay. So, by and large, I don't know that you, you even have this job anymore. Sure. I wouldn't have thought. Annie Kaplan is played by Brenda Benet, who was Bill Bixby's real-life wife. Uh, I don't know if at the time this episode was filmed or at the time this episode was made. I know they divorced shortly after this. But, which, so they were around the end of the relationship at this point. Annie's doing some crappy, deadbeat, no low-paying job, much like David does. So they were married? Yes, they were married in real life. They look like siblings. Do you think? They look like each other. They look like each other? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Annie has visions of the future. Now, there's a little bit of inconsistency here. With everybody that Annie has visions of, it's normally of a couple of minutes or a couple of hours into their own future. But when she gets visions of David in the course of the episode, it's flashbacks, and even in one case, a dream that David had once. Which one was that? The one where he's running after his wife in he's Hawaii. Who's in the bus. Who's on the bus. Right. That's a dream sequence. Okay. So she sees his dreams. Now, it's entirely possible that they have some kind of connection with each other that she doesn't have with all these other people. Mm. Um, but I just think they just use the stock footage because it's cool. Um, Annie gets fired from her job. She got she, fired? Yeah, she just got fired for trying to help somebody. Oh, okay. Uh, the woman was warned to watch her coffee and proceeds to spill it all over herself. Unlucky. Those steps look cool. Well, I don't know where this was filmed. I mean, it's set in San Francisco, isn't it? Mm. This is one of those episodes, another one where David's wandering around and it's set in San Francisco. But, I mean, it doesn't look like San Francisco. It probably filmed in Culver City in California, for all I know. But it doesn't look very hilly. Although it is raining. I don't mind, does it, it rain a lot in California? Doesn't, does Los Angeles get a lot of rain? I don't know. It's, it's too hot. Anyway, Annie Kaplan leaves, and our beleaguered hero, Dr. David Banner, is working in a market where he's dishing out apples. T-bone steak. He listens to what Michael Bailey calls the news, the a news exposition network. <laughs> Not the expositional news network. Which is brilliant plot device that is in comics and films and television shows where the lead character just happens to hear a news story that relates to him in some way. 
at just the right time. Wasn't that on Futurama where they turn the TV on? Yes, like, yes. I just go, isn't it convenient how well we turn yeah, the TV on? just the right time. The Expositional News Network is a particular favourite of Stan Lee. Yeah. Go back and read the early Spider-Man comics and he does use that, that network quite a lot. Anyway, David has just heard the news report of a child in serious condition in hospital. Uh, and that the creature was seen in the vicinity and has read it in the newspaper. By pure coincidence, Annie has missed the bus home and is walking. She's avoiding touching people because that seems to be what triggers off her psychic She glides visions. down the street like she just did. She does, she glides. It's, it's very cool, I think. Um, oh, and she just brushes into somebody, but doesn't have a vision. Which is interesting. Maybe she does, we just don't see it. It's possible. Like later in the episode. Yes, which is very good, I thought. But anyway, she's walking along, minding her own business. They make a big deal out of showing that she's avoiding people, don't they? Mm. She'll step to the side and stuff. Like she's avoiding cooties. Yeah. She witnesses the accident that she tried to prevent earlier on, but a shrew of a boss wouldn't let her. Mm. So she fired her. And she gets all bent out of shape about it. Because, let's face it, this vision thing has ruined her life. She walks into a badly piled up stack of oranges and bumps into Dr. David Banner, who touches her and she has flashbacks to David hulking out. Stock footage vision. Yes, she has stock footage vision. (laughs) Um, Mainly the clips are from the episode Married, which was the two-hour season premiere. But there was also a clip there from the beginning of this episode of the Hulk roaring over the, the wounded body of the child. Annie at this point thinks she's cracking up, which is understandable, mm. I suppose, if you thought that uh, you touched somebody and you saw a big green monster. Not good. So she runs away to her apartment building. <laughs> this part made me laugh. Why did this part make you laugh? The um, singer. What? The guy who lives there. Oh, her landlord. Just a terrible actor. Oh, right, okay. Right, she's rolled up at her apartment where her landlord is greeting her. He's warning her, as usual, he's a very scummy looking landlord. Mm. He's got dirty pants on and an open vest. Uh, He's overdue with her rent. You're overdue with your rent, but uh, I'm sure there's other ways you could pay me. I know how to make a woman happy. He looks like he knows how to make a woman happy. Got a letter here. You feel sorry for that boy? Yeah, he's very um, passive-aggressive as well. You notice that he he blocks her from the doorway Mm. and he shut the door behind him. He's not a very nice man. But he's a crap actor. Well, is he not supposed to be a bit lame? Well, I don't know. He assumes... Yes, come up with some other arrangement. Does he look dubbed to you as well? Does it? Does you not think he looks dubbed? Annie's obviously had enough at this point, as she's received a letter from somebody, a Dr. Faulkner. And Annie Kaplan has picked up a box. A box? A tub. A tub of pills. Interestingly, they've set up here that the newspaper she's just picked up off the floor has a picture of the Hulk on it. And you can see it underneath her hand as she pours the pills out into the palm of her hand, obviously contemplating suicide. Wasn't there more pills in her hand a minute ago? Yes, she pours it all Yes, on. There's a little continuity goof, though, where she pours more pills in her hand and then does it. 
and then when it cuts back there's not as many pills she changes her mind and sees on the newspaper a picture of the Hulk now unusually for the National Register this is a different picture of the creature than we normally get the picture that they normally have on the front page is a shot from the pilot so it's always the same pretty much they established early on that they only have one picture of the Hulk like that grainy picture of the Loch Ness monster that would show up Uh, she sees the picture of the creature and decides that she's not insane and decides not to kill herself her scummy landlord gets dollar signs before his eyes when he realises that there's a $10,000 reward his tone doesn't change though I can make a woman happy hey money (laughs) you're really settled on this I can make a woman happy thing aren't you yeah I'm very impressed with that Annie thinks that $10,000 is probably not a great deal of money. Although I don't know, in, in 1980, yeah. When you've not got money, a fiver's a lot of money. Fiver is a lot for me. Yes. So, because she is now aware of who the creature is, or at the very least, where it works. Ooh. His neck's snapped by that thing. I'm, I'm forget about it. I can make a woman happy. <laughs> <laughs> I do like how he's not quite as scummy now that money has showed up he's much more interested in the money than he's interested in her anyway Annie phones Mr. McGee of Mr. McGee don't make me angry Faye who's John Doe John Doe is the name that McGee has hung on the man who becomes the creature. There was a previous episode called Mystery Man, a two-hour episode, in which Banner and McGee were trapped together in a plane crash. Banner had bandages on his face because he was in hospital. And McGee learned that somebody becomes the Hulk. He doesn't know who, Hmm. so he just calls him John Doe. David, meanwhile, has taken himself off to the hospital to find out the status of Robbie Donner, the boy whose neck was snapped by that thing, to quote the scummy landlord. He was looking a bit Hugh Jackman. Do you think he looks like Hugh Jackman? A bit. What, the, the kid? No. Finger. The doctor? No, Bruce. Bill Bixby? Yeah. Funnily, Hugh Jackman is interested in making a, a biopic about Bill Bixby's life. Okay. So that would actually work, wouldn't it, then, if you think he looks like Hugh Jackman? Mm. Uh, Tingly, tingly piano music plays as David gets a bit upset (laughs) because he thinks that the Hulk has killed somebody. As soon as we're doing it as an audio commentary, if we've got nothing to say, we may edit it down and not do it as an audio commentary. she end up at the hospital because I was talking to you and I missed that and I've watched this twice now she goes there she just goes to the hospital for no reason whatsoever no because of the bar or something I think alright and then she sees that Bruce is there and says oh okay David this is an alternate reality Incredible Hulk where he's named David Bruce Banner not Robert Bruce Banner I prefer this to be honest you prefer David well no the TV show story why I quite like the idea of being chased across the country well, yeah, see, it works for a television show because you couldn't really have him fighting tanks every week, I suppose. Mm. He only fights tanks twice. Does Once it's a toy, <laughs> which he just crushes. And there is one episode where he does actually fight a tank. Mm. 
Excellent. Um, this bit, actually, this seems really well done. Um, Annie Kaplan's found David at the hospital, although she doesn't yet know his name, and she sat in the waiting room with him. Bixby plays maudlin self-pity better than any other actor alive. Mm. And he does it in such a way that you feel really sorry for him without ever wanting to smack him about <laughs> the face and say, cheer up, dude! Which you do for Tobey Maguire. Yes, to Tobey Maguire, you kind of just want to smack up the head a bit and say, oh, cheer up, you whiner. Oh, another excellent flashback scene here. So again, Annie's powers work in flashback with David. When he touches her to relieve her of the coffee that she's about to drop. But then she flashes forward. Mm. So how exactly do her powers work on David Banner? He touches her and she sees his wife, his first wife, die in a car crash. And he sees him at the burial with the, co the coffin. And then she sees the future. She sees him hugging her at the end of this episode. Maybe it's timey wimey. Timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. David's his usual charming self. Because as Michael Bailey put it, David Banner gets more ass than a toilet seat. <laughs> they accidentally touch again and she sees the death of David's second wife Carolyn Fields how many did he have? two and he lost both of them that's yeah. just clumsy quite frankly and she starts to feel sorry for him and regret the fact that she's grassed him up to Jack McGee which bites her on the ass yes well it doesn't really it does why? I mean, she means he didn't get the money I came all the way to Chicago. Yeah. You know, there's a reward. Ten million dollars. Thousand. Thousand. Yeah. That's ten thousand dollars. Because of the flashbacks, flash forwards, weirdo, unexplained power ability that she has, she tells David that Mr. McGee is on his way to the hospital because she knows who he is. David kind of looks at it. There's a brilliant piece of acting there by Bill Bix because he's really very... How the hell do you know? <laughs> Are you a crazy lady? And then he just turns to leave, because he has to get the hell out of Dodge. This bit here is excellent. It's hilarious. David goes to the lift. Annie Kaplan explains what's going on. A guy walks past her with a big gas canister, smoking, <laughs> and she sees that this is going to go horribly wrong. And she doesn't need psychic powers to see that. Still and, cracks me up. Yes. <laughs> and she says to David that that guy who's just come past with the tanks is going to blow up Dave Bixby's performance there is brilliant he's just about to go into the lift and his face is oh why does this crap keep happening to me <laughs> explosion and David's all oh god is there no one else in the hospital he's in a hospital yeah. right there's tons of trained professionals they all just stand there watching just stand there watching David Banner is the only one who goes in to help him. I'm a background actor, I'm not going for this stuff. <laughs> there are doctors, surely, and nurses, and other trained professionals to do this, David. You could just stay the hell out of Dodge. But, we are at this point. Let me just get my PlayStation controller to actually come on. 18 minutes into the episode, which normally means Hulk out time. David's been flung across the room and my favourite part of any episode, Did the eyes go white. When Michael was a baby, this show got rerun in the late 1990s on Saturday mornings at about 11 o'clock and we would watch it every, more, every Saturday and he hated this bit, didn't you? 
Whenever the eyes would go away, you would hide. Okay. As soon as the Hulk came on, you were fine. But it was just the transformation scenes, and you would go dip, 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 because he's shirt ripping. That was my favourite bit. The white eyes meant the Hulk was coming out to play. So, of course, Banner's hooked out. Take that, you cupboard. Yeah, he throws a, a cupboard across the room and saves the guy. Oh, finally! Some paramedics show up. Do you know, I think the guy who was smoking looks a bit like the evil dude from being human. He does a bit. The, the evil vampire man. Yeah. Right. The Hulk throws one of the gas tank canisters across the room that has just blown water. up. Hello, look at that as well. The glass. The water tank is a glass. They're all plastic now. Okay. Don't, yeah, don't let you have glass ones anymore. The Hulk picks up the wounded man. <laughs> I love the dialogue. I'm not going to stop him. <laughs> I love that all these doctors really aren't portrayed as heroes. <laughs> and he's in a hospital, but he just drops the dude on the yeah. floor. They're in a hospital that is now on fire. Yeah. Okay. Where's the fire alarm? Uh, Where's the evacuation? There is a thingy, though. Yeah, there is a warning that... No, if you look just to the left, there's a fire hydrant. Nobody seems to be actually bothering. I mean, somebody has used a fire extinguisher. Oh, yeah, that. The Hulk runs off through the smoke. Lots of doctors and nurses preoccupied with the Hulk rather than the actual fact that the building's on fire. Yeah. Hey, look, man boobs juggle. Oh, it, I wouldn't call them boobs. They're very muscular. That shot, actually, of the Hulk leaping out of a window and running away is stock footage from yeah. another episode. I believe it's from Killer Instinct, but I could be wrong about that. Um, we come back from <laughs> a commercial break to a child crying. Ginger. <laughs> well, not just that, but a terrible child actor. Let's be honest, he's not very good. The Hulk just runs at him. And looks thoroughly confused by the child. He's like, what? He just kicks him away. It won't be fun. The child grabs hold of the Hulk's hand. I want my mommy. It would be funny if the Hulk just kicked him away. Like, shut up, annoying brat. She's a crap actor too. That's the creature who attacked that boy. Help. No, there in that shot, the Hulk's wearing his green pumps. Is it? Yeah, there's lots of times in the external scenes, which is fair enough, really, that Lou Ferrigno was wearing green pumps okay. so to protect his feet. Fair So, yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. But once you know that they're there, it, you can't help yeah. but spot them. That's one of those things you probably didn't notice as a kid, to be honest. David is returned from his Hulk out. He's clad in his normal white jacket, brown bag combination. I don't know how he affords all these natty cowboy boots. Keep getting ripping. Because he's always got nice boots. Speaking of which, in the Hulk out, we did see his shoes rip. Yeah. I always loved that as a kid. Why? I don't know. I don't know why I enjoyed seeing his shoes rip. Anyway, David's gone to Annie's apartment. Unfortunately, so was Mr. McGee. Ooh. Ooh. David asks, was anybody hurt at the hospital? And is relieved when Annie says no. In fact, he saved the delivery man's life, which is what Annie just said. It's the only problem with audio commentary. Yeah. You just find yourself repeating what they're saying. Because I'm bloody brilliant. Alright, so David's just asked how he knows these things, how Annie knows these things. Jack McGee has shown up at the door. 
So David immediately goes and does a runner. Why doesn't he just go in the bedroom? Or has she got a one-bedroom apartment? I think so. Well, there was a door leading off somewhere, though. So David goes out onto the fire escape, mm. where he hides from Mr. McGee. Hell, I'd have done it. What, gone out to the fire escape? I have an urge to go on a fire escape. I see them in so many comics and TV shows, and I want to go on Yeah, we don't escape. have a lot of them, do we? No. Maybe no, yeah. on building. McGee shows up. He would have been a better John Constantine than Keanu Reeves. Yeah, apart from the fact he's American and old. Yeah, but look at him though. He does. He, he is rocking the trench coat. Jack Colvin was brilliant. I thought they did a really good. I mean, if you've watched more than just one episode, I've seen a few. Um, McGee can come across as a bit two-dimensional yeah. in that he just pursues the Hulk. But they did a really good job. There's a number of episodes where they focus on McGee. Proof positive. Um, mystery man I've already mentioned but there's one called Proof Positive in the third season Bixby's not in it at all at all Bill Bixby's not in the episode at all and it's all about Jack McGee and how he's just obsessed with capturing the creature it's very much like Moby Dick with Captain Ahab and the whale and you actually feel sorry for Jack McGee because this has ruined his life as well it's cost him his relationship the people at work think he's a joke Mm. because he's obsessed with this green creature so all credibility he's got as a reporter have gone and Colvin was really good he never really became I don't know if he did anything after this Okay. there's a couple of things before this he's in a couple of episodes of Six Million Dollar Man and things like that but I don't know if he ever did anything after the Hulk is he one of those guys who does like one good thing and then nothing else? Yeah, possibly. Which is a shame because I'm sure he was a, he was a, a good actor. He died not long ago, Jack Colvin. I think it was either last year or the year before. So there's only Lou Ferrigno left now. Okay. Just can't do a Hulk reunion movie anymore. Bill Bixby died. Bill Bixby's, Bixby's dead. Yeah, Bill Bixby died of cancer in 1993. Okay. Something like that. He wasn't very old. I think he was only about 59 when he died. Oh, I missed my favourite part. What? Ten million. He doesn't say a million. Thousand. Ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand. Yeah, really, I, I, I heard. Was that a lot of money in 1980? I don't know. It's a lot of money to me. It's a lot of money, yeah. It's not an inadequate amount of money now. Um, Annie explains to David exactly what happens. <laughs> Teapots on a kettle. Yes, I, I always thought that putting them on the uh, oven. I like that it's Americans drinking tea, mm. which is quite, because normally they drink coffee, don't they, in TV shows. Very rarely drink tea, unless the English characters like Higgins in Magnum or something like that. And have big butt teeth and huge jaws. Yes, because we all have bad teeth and huge jaws, like I your was family. Guy. reading an old Batman comic before about Knights and Squire, and they all lived in big castles and yes. multicolored thatched houses. Because we all live in castles. Um, this is like an expository scene, expository scene, but it's a good one, mainly because of the strength of the actors involved. Annie Kaplan explains to David that she was a psychic. Or a flashback. Or a flashback. To some stock footage. Yeah. So I, I learned. 
What is this, the A-team? He wants us to stop with it. See, this, this is a very interesting scene, because they're working very hard here to establish that essentially she's a female David Banner. She has this ability that has essentially ruined her life because she's used it to help people. So not only does she look like him, but she also lives like him. Yeah, she's working the police to find a, a kidnapped victim, a young boy. Her visions don't pan out, and the boy is found dead. And so she moves from place to place, changing her name so people can't find her. Sound familiar? Yeah. See? So they're working very hard to establish that she is essentially him. She's got the same problem as him. She's resolved it in the same way by just hiding. See, the, problem, the only problem I have with this episode, really, is that the TV psychic stuff was done thousands of times in 1780s TV show. The psychic with a past was a trope on TV shows. Erwolf did it. Starsky and Hutch did it. TJ Hooker did it. They all did the psychic who has previously had a case go bad and horribly wrong and somebody ended up dying and in all cases they've had to go crawling back to them for help. But here... They twist the story. The writers, Harris, Karen Harris and Jill Sherman, twist the story so that that's not so much what the episode's about. The episode's actually about David and Annie's a mirror image of David and the the two end up helping each other out. Him him more than her, obviously. Because at the end of the episode, he's still the Hulk. She's still a psychic. Yes, but she's actually made her peace with it, hasn't she? Yeah. By the time we get there. Oh. See, th- I think this bit's really good. Mm. Essentially, it is, it's a play. It's two actors in a room talking. And it's always, you need two good actors to pull that off. Yeah. And did you think this was dull? No. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Good. It's one of the few episodes of Hulk I've seen. All the way through, apart from when you were a baby. You yeah. saw quite a few then. I don't remember them, though. No, you don't, because you were a baby. You were only about two years old, I think. I enjoyed this more than the others once I've seen. It, it, it's, it is, I think, that this may very well be the show's finest hour-long episode, mm. to be honest with you. There were a couple... I mean, the show was consistently enjoyable. It's better than the one with that party on that island with the... Evil woman. No, I won't. Did you, Equinox. Yeah. Oh, I love that one simply because Equinox, like this one, has a Hulk out at the beginning, mm. but it has a Jack McGee, David Banner face-to-face confrontation. And they don't know it. And well, they know who each other is, oh, yeah. but that's very, very rare. To be honest with you. <laughs> it was funny. Though. I went into stick. Yeah, she was. Can. No, spoiled. Yeah. Spoiled brat. What a pony! Oh, this bit's great. Bixby's performance here may be the, his best. The, ooh, see, there's a, there's a there's a tough choice here. Is this the best performance he did? 
um, because he's just read in the newspaper that the boy has died and he really does believe that the Hulk did it he believes that the creature did it and he touches him to comfort him and sees stock footage so again she's not seeing the future no. she's seen David's past and David breaks down he just he's at the end he's at the lowest I think that he's ever been in the show and he brought David Banner down to some pretty low places during the run of this series lower than Daredevil yeah there was never a happy show okay. to be honest with you um, and Banner Bixby's performance is brilliant um, he cries on cue which is always an impressive thing for an actor to be able to do but there is a scene in The First have you never watched that one? no where he discovers that in the 50s there was another creature oh, okay. and he goes to the town and he finds out that this guy was cured oh, okay. and he makes the cure and he has the cure in his hand yeah. when the other guy has made himself the Hulk again Okay. And he hulks out and smashes the cure in front of David's face. And he just breaks down as he's hulking out. So the Hulk is the one that stands up holding the, the remnants of this cure in his hand, crying. The Hulk is crying. Mm. And then it's a brilliant piece of acting by both of them because Farino just looks at it and he's just like, right now, yeah. I'm really pissed off. <laughs> so this is the angriest I've ever been. But it's brilliant it's, I think it's a really good performance um, McGee has gone to the funeral of Robbie Donner so there's no indication how long over what period of time this episode takes place because mm. funerals don't take place straight away do they? No. so this could be anywhere within a couple of days to a couple of weeks later David and Annie are at the funeral um, and David touches her as he gets up to leave when he sees that McGee's there so the question here is, how long has David been living with Annie? Because he goes back to her apartment. She tells him to. She does tell him to go back to her apartment, but the implication there is he has a key. Yeah. So has he been living with her? Maybe. Because I presume that they can't have some kind of sexual relationship, because every time she touches somebody, mm. she gets this. But she starts to leave and touches McGee after having seen David leaving a suicide note. She sees that McGee is going to be killed. So how long? So again, the the time that this episode takes place over is slightly nebulous, mm. but we can forgive that. Not as bad as Nightfall. Not as bad as Nightfall. No, that's very true. She's not forgiving up information. About who John Doe is. <laughs> and that, that Jack McGee music is in loads of episodes. <laughs> I like the musical score to this. It is very 70s, it's very dramatic, like then when it goes to an ad break. This bit is brilliant. Bill Bixby has really nice handwriting. Because normally when you see handwriting in television shows, it's the hands writing it, and yeah. then it cuts to somebody else. My best example of that was Battlestar Galactica. Do you remember? The board where they're mapping out which pilots have which job today yeah. is meticulously written. The handwriting's gorgeous. And the camera pulls back, and Apollo yeah. is writing on the last pilot. And his handwriting is shite. <laughs> and it's who wrote the rest of that board then? Because it wasn't Jamie Bamba. Yeah. 
David's leaving his suicide note past hope, past help, past cure, which is a Shakespeare quote that was alluded to earlier on in the show. Annie rushes home to talk to David, sees the suicide note on the table and fears she may be too late. She's not. David is stood outside on the balcony, ready to throw himself off. A very ironic line, given what would happen. This is a brilliant scene. Places, isn't it? Yeah. You've got two characters over the course of this story who seriously contemplate suicide as a way out. There's been a child who's had his neck broken in the opening, and David believes the lead character in the show believes him to be responsible for that. And he's very calm in his suicide attempt, isn't he? Yeah. He's not irrational. He knows exactly what he's doing. Is it high up for it to be suicide? Well, the camera angle never actually makes it clear how high up she is. I mean... It, it zooms down on his feet. He's about two or three stories up, isn't he? I want to kill you then. What if it landed on his head? Well, yeah. If he throws himself off head first. Yeah. But if he doesn't land head first. Well, yeah. See, there is the possibility as well, though. He's deliberately... Well, he's deliberately keeping himself calm so he doesn't hulk out. Because the Hulk could survive that fall. With no pro- We've seen him jump from two stories just a minute ago. In this episode. She tells him that... McGee's not going to be a problem any longer because she's seen that he's going to die. Over at Matt Murdock's dad. Over at Matt Mur- over at battling Jack Murdock's place. Yes. <laughs> I had not noticed that that photo does look like battling Jack Murdock. Do you not? No. What's, what, did, what did they change it to in the film? Daredevil Murdock or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, he came up annoyed. Jack the Devil. Okay. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, McGee's at this boxing arena where he's talking to the boy that we saw running out of the alleyway very early on in the episode. He's got terrible 70s feathered hair. It has to be said. Isn't that quite terrible? Mm. (laughs) Oh dear. He's mopping up and McGee is doing his best investigative reporter thing and plucking all of the threads of his story so it falls apart. He looks quite familiar to me, the kid. I don't know whether he went on to being something else, but his face looks familiar. Mm. I should look it up, really, but I can't be bothered.
Daredevil shows up now. Like, I swear I'll be better than I am in the movie. Daredevil showed up in an episode of the Hulk. Yeah. One of the reunion movies. He wasn't better than he was in the Bad Affleck movie. It was quite terrible. I didn't mind the Hulk bits, even though Bill, Bill Bixby had a beard in that episode. And the Hulk didn't. Okay. Which didn't really make much sense to me. Red Hulk? Yeah. Who was that? Yeah, that's a bit silly, to be honest with you. David and Annie have arrived. Annie has been told to go to the police. Jack's piecing it all together and realise that this kid he's currently interrogating was the one that smacked Robbie Donner with a piece of wood that broke his neck. McGee's piecing it together that the creature didn't do it. The kid has one of those made-up guns. Yeah, I wonder what Made of wood. Would it not like set on fire with an explosion inside it? Well, it's not a bullet, is it? Isn't it a wooden pellet of some description? It goes boom. Well, yeah. I thought it was quite clever. Um, David's not wearing horrendous clothes. He's also not wearing flowers. You'll notice. The kid shoots at Jack McGee's stunt double. Did you know that? No. That wasn't Jack Colvin. Now my son, the rule of fight, she lost him. Yeah, now, <laughs> now in problem. <laughs> uh, the kid tries to reload as Jack McGee tries to escape. David takes his coat off and smashes the window to break into the building. At the end of this episode, David's got his white coat back. Yeah. How does he get it back? Because I don't think we're giving anything away here to, to reveal that this is leading to the next Hulk out. And he never loses that white coat over the, the duration of the show. Maybe he's got multiple. I don't think so. Yes, safe houses all over America. Where he just keeps coat. white coats and brown bags. <laughs> oh, dear me. The kid's reloading his makeshift gun. David shows up. You can tell by the music that we're going to hulk out. He shoots David in the face... But because it's one of those homemade guns, I presume it doesn't have a fantastic range. Mm. And here we go. See, that's quite a good stunt, that. Because Bixby was actually the one hanging from the thing, though, wasn't he? Yeah. I'm presuming he didn't fall into the chairs. That'll have been the stunt, man. Hulk out shoes! Which always amuses me. I don't know why. McGee wakes up from his unconscious stupor just in time to see... The creature. I do like how the Hulk's not always wearing purple pants. It, I don't think he ever wore purple pants in the TV show. Mm. I'm the Hulk. Hey, look, my pants changed colour. Yeah. Now we get a face-off. Hulk versus a teenage boy. Not really a fur competition, is it? To be honest with you. Instead of shooting at him, the kid throws his gun over the hook and head. misses. The guy's seven feet tall and probably seven feet wide, and he misses him. Anyway, the Hulk picks up a table and throws it across the room. Just because it's low. Just because it's in his way. <laughs> um, well, your mum is always referring to the fact that essentially TV Hulk is a four-year-old child yeah. throwing a tantrum. So, 
the Hulk now decides that he's going to destroy a boxing arena for no readily explained reason other than it's in his way. And it ties the shit up. It does. So does the Hulk actually have accidental brains? So he's not as clever as he is in the comics in this? Um, yeah, there was never any indication given to the Hulk having the personality in this. Mm. There was only one episode that I can recall where the Hulk even acknowledges Banner's existence. And there was never any play given to the fact that Banner's trying to rid himself of the Hulk, but does the Hulk just not have a right to live as well? They never did anything with that in the TV show. Is the Hulk a separate entity? Yeah. Is the Hulk a separate thing from David Banner? Is it a five-star? Oh, yeah. Or is it just a manifestation of his anger? Mm. Or oh, none of that. They never played with that in the, Hulk, in the TV show, which is a shame, because that could have made some good episodes. Yeah. They never did the obvious episode... Banner separates himself from the Hulk. So the two people. Yeah, because they could have really easily done that because it's two actors. Yeah. So it's odd that they never did that. Anyway, the Hulk brings the kid down by wrapping him up in the, the rings on the boxing arena. Annie Kaplan shows up and touches the creature and sees David. Now, missed opportunity. What? We could have really gotten into the Hulk's head though. Yeah. Does the Hulk view Banner as a bad guy in this? But, the yeah, well, that's what I mean. They, they never did anything with him in this. The Hulk was just the Hulk and that was it. The police show up so the Hulk leaves. Nice bit of continuity in that he still had a cut on his head. Yeah. Like David Banner did. Annie lets the Hulk go. McGee. McGee lets the Hulk go. Mainly because he doesn't seem to be in any fit shape to run after him. And because there'd be no TV show, we'd be caught in now. Well, that's true. The police show up. You I presume McGee is going to testify everything that he heard, though. Hmm. If he's got any brains, he won't mention that the Hulk was there. Because any decent lawyer would tear that apart in court. Yeah. It's alright for the kids to mention it, because then he can just say he can plead insanity. Hmm. But if McGee mentions it, it'll just fall to bits. The tag scene at the end, Annie Kaplan is boarding a bus. I think you're making the right decision going back. Thank you, David, for telling us where she's going. <laughs> Perfectly tagged. No, he's got his white jacket back. Yeah. It's possible, I suppose, Annie picked it up for him. And took it back with him, because I presume his bag was at her house. Yeah. That makes sense. He's got a lot of shirts as well. He does have a lot of shirts in that very, very small bag, to be honest with you. Is he not doing a Dukes of Hazzard where he picks them up? He's, worth the, yeah. <laughs> He's worth the same clothes all the time. any show that really should have brought back characters, it should have been this one. Apparently Kenneth Johnson did plan to have a final episode. Oh, this bit. Annie hugs him at the end, and she has a vision, because it plays the music. But we don't see what that vision is. She starts crying. And she does start getting tears in her eyes. Mm. So, does she see his end? Maybe. At that point. Because as I was saying, Ken Johnson did have a plan to do a two-hour finale yeah. where Banner was found alive and put on trial 
okay. for the death of Elena Marx in the series pilot, which is the murder the Hulk is wanted for. Yeah. And he has said they had plans to bring back characters from other episodes to testify on David's behalf. Okay. And I think she would have been a prime candidate to bring back. Mm. Along with the guy who played his, his dad and the girl who played his sister. He had a dad and a sister. Yeah, there was an, another a really good episode where he went home okay. at Thanksgiving. And his dad and his sister were there. David says goodbye to Annie, picks up his little bottomless brown bag, and it's takes off. It's a Ramona flowers bag. Is it? Mm. Oh, and every week this music would make your man cry. <laughs> Fair enough. It would. She'd always go, oh. Your sister, it still makes your sister go a bit weepy, this. Okay. She always says, that music is very sad, Daddy. Um, I think that's an excellent episode. Mm. Uh, are you glad we watched it separately before we talked all over it? Yeah. Good. Uh, I think this may very well be the show's finest hour, to be honest with you. The two-part episodes were better, and if you enjoyed that one, I heartily recommend the pilot, the two-man play that is Mystery Man, where you find out a lot about um, Jack McGee. Do you like this music, Anya? Does it does it make you sad? I hummed it on oh. the way home from school one time, and one of my friends knew what it was. I do it all the time. It's one of my little geek things. The other one is whenever I go to doors that open automatically, I do that with my hand like I Jedi's do. I do. do the same. And whenever I'm walking on my own with a bag, yeah. I whistle that music. It's yeah. very very sad. Anyway, uh, I do recommend Mystery Man. As I said, Prometheus is an excellent two-part episode where David gets trapped in mid-transformation. Wasn't that a two-part issue of Iron Man? What would Iron Bruce Man Bruce Banner was? goes up to Iron Man, to Tony Stark, he says, Right, I've got this problem where I turn into the Hulk, can you help me? Sure, I've got this device here, it'll stop you from turning into the Hulk. But it stopped him from turning into the Hulk, but it didn't stop him from getting angry and giving him the strength of the Hulk. So he was broke. Right, it was, yes, essentially. Okay. Essentially, it's the same idea. David gets trapped mid-transformation. And it's a brilliant episode, because Bixby gets to play the Hulk. Okay. Which you never saw in any other episode. So that's fantastic, seeing Bixby play the Hulk, not Lou Ferrigno. So that's heartily recommended. Uh, we've already mentioned the first, because who doesn't love the Hulk versus Hulk Slugfest? Mm. That's a good one. Um, very few of the one-hour episode matched the quality of this instalment. The um, Equinox, I'd probably put up there with the spoiled rich woman that you've mentioned. Homecoming, yeah. David returns home for Thanksgiving, I'd recommend that one. Of Guilt Models and Murder is a brilliant early episode where David comes out of a Hulk out at the beginning of the show yeah. and there's a dead body there. Okay. And he thinks the Hulk's done it. But he didn't. But unlike this episode, yeah. he's not really low. He's only, it's very early on, it's only like the third or second or third episode of the show mm-hmm. and he's determined to find out what did happen because he's convinced David Banner won't kill, so the Hulk won't kill. Okay. And that's a really good one. And there's some good McGee scenes in that as well. McGee does a face-to-face confrontation. Um, for the most part, by the nature of its formula, the Hulk had two plots. Mm. David tries to find a cure, which was normally the better episodes, or David bumps into somebody who he helps. Normally, a pretty woman. It has to be said. And traditionally, the show wasn't about David, rather it was about the people he encountered. Here, David is central to the action. McGee has an excellent part in the show. Bixby's performance in this episode, I think, is simply brilliant. Um, Bixby nailed Banner's personality, and a key part of the appeal of the show was that being the Hulk was not a blessing for him. It was a curse. Uh, This characterisation was straight out of the comics, and Bixby's cast a long shadow over every other actor's portrayal of this character, arguably longer even than Christopher Reeve on Superman. 
It's a very sensitive and intelligent portrayal of two people who find each other at the right time and provide the support necessary before going on with their lives. We've said David was never lower than this, apart from in the first when he actually had a cure in his hand, Mm. which is a brilliant scene. And it's a testament, I think, to the writers and producers and actors that the show, it never feels mawkish. You never think it's saccharine or sugary, do you? You really do believe he's going to commit suicide, which is quite interesting. David's always been terrified that the Hulk will kill, and this is a natural outgrowth of that plot line. It's also the conclusion to that. I don't think they ever talk about that again. This is the natural ending for that story, that David's terrified that the Hulk will kill. And then Mac Miller and Mac Bagley get back forget that Um, the episode unfortunately has a real melancholic undertone to it in real life Uh, Annie Kaplan as we said was played by Brenda Benet who was Bill Bixby's real life wife who committed suicide in real life after the death of their son Christopher Bixby so that kind of adds a certain frisson to the episode doesn't it that the episode is about suicide and the woman in it committed suicide so that makes it quite sad. Anyway, that was a bit of a bummer ending, wasn't it, for our show? I'm very sorry about that. I didn't mean it. Next week, we'll be tackling an episode of The Flash. Do we know which one? Oh, we're doing Captain Cold, aren't we? Yeah. Next week, we'll be doing the Captain Cold episode of The Flash. We'll hope you join us. Do you have anything to say about the Incredible Hulk TV show, Annie? At the end, it makes me cry. Oh. Well, I'll play that music at the end of this episode just for you. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is and the devil will find work for idle hands to do production. Every Thursday, new episodes drop at aplayland.podomatic.com. You can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and the show can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum www.forumforgeeks.com We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else mainly because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. (laughs) 